listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony, and I hope you're all doing fantabulous. And fantabulous, Scott, is a mixture of fantastic and fabulous, twice as nice. So you don't have to say fantastic and fabulous. It's just a little thing that I like to say before I start the show. Levity. We need levity in this world, right? So (laughs) anyway, uh, first of all, I'd like to wish you a very happy Pride Month. Well, happy Pride, Philip. And and to everyone, especially the allies. We have to talk about the allies. They're really important. Um, People that support the LGBT community don't have to be LGBTQ, but supporting us, we, we can't take them for granted. So I just want to mention that I talk about them a lot on the show. Um, My very special guest today is Minnesota State Senator Scott Dibble, who represents District 61, which includes portions of Minneapolis. That's basically it, not any other, uh, just Minneapolis, right? That's correct. Uh, I represent southwest Minneapolis, downtown, half of downtown, and a little sliver of north Minneapolis. Okay. Thank you for letting me know that. Um, So... uh, Again, happy Pride Month to everybody out there listening. Um, by the way, can I call you Scott? It's, oh, absolutely. It's okay. <laughs> and should I call you Philip or Philip Anthony? <laughs> Philip is good. All right. Philip Anthony is actually my real name, um, but I don't use the Anthony. My mom used to say that when she was mad at me, Philip Anthony. And she would say that. Okay. So when I get mad at you, I'll say Philip Anthony. You can Anthony. say that if you're right. Yes. So before we talk about – I love you. Before we talk about your career in politics, I always like to ask my guests – about their beginnings. So can you uh, – um, so we can lay a foundation. Sure. You know. So can you tell the listeners where you were born, raised, went to school, and any other things you want to add to that? Well, I was born in New York City. So was I. Um, but I left as a small child, as a baby actually. And my dad was in the Air Force. So both my parents grew up here in Minnesota. Uh, so I'm, I'm culturally Minnesotan and, uh, but lived around the world because my dad was in the Air Force and was stationed – and moved every few years. So we lived in Bermuda, in Italy. Oh, wow. Um, we lived in the Deep South, Texas. Hmm. Ultimately uh, ended up here in Minnesota in high school, or just as I was getting into high school. So I've been in, in Minnesota pretty much my whole life. And my, like I said, my parents were raised here. Many of my relatives live here. But interestingly, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Colorado for a family reunion at which there will be one to 200 people. All no. from all over the country and some who live internationally. So this family that started in Minnesota has moved all over the country. Do you have lo- a lot of siblings? So Is that why the family so big? Um, so they're, they're all the cousins, um, all, the, oh, all the cousins of my, of my dad. Um, uh-huh. My dad yep. is gone. He's the only one who's passed. But um, all the cousins, of which there are uh, about 12, and all of their kids, and their kids, and their kids. They're all the descendants of my grandmother and her two sisters. Oh, wow. And so, actually, the, all the descendants of, of their mother and father. Mm-hmm. So, so, we've been doing this since the early 70s, every four years, gathering in Colorado. So, it'll be really exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, have a good time. Well, thanks. That sounds like fun. Yeah, so. My family's kind of, um, how should I say this, Segmented. We live in different parts of the country. There's very little let's get together kind of attitude, you know. So it would be nice. Maybe I should bring that up to my family and do something like that. It would be nice to get everybody together. Um, So through my legwork, I've discovered that you were an activist and an organizer of, uh, quote, It's Time Minnesota. 
Um, and because of your organization, along with other advocates, you helped pass the 1993 Minnesota Human Rights Act. Can you talk a little bit about that so sure. for our listeners? Yeah. So it was an amendment to the Human Rights Act to uh, prohibit discrimination against uh, LGBTQ people. We didn't use Q back then. Um, right. Yeah, we, were the yeah. we were the first state to include non-discrimination protections for transgender people, which was really a great wow. achievement. We were the eighth state in the country overall to pass a non-discrimination law. Um, so it was uh, uh, an incredible organizing moment. Um, it came about uh, after 20 years of effort. The first non-discrimination legislative proposal was introduced at about the same time that my mentor, uh, State Senator Alan Spear, uh, was elected to office. So I think he was first elected in 72. And so he had he and along with uh, Representative Karen Clark, who was elected in 1980, worked year in and year out to try to get basic non-discrimination protections passed into state law. In the intervening years, uh, Minneapolis had passed a non-discrimination ordinance. St. Paul had, them, but then St. Paul's ordinance was repealed uh, by referendum. So by a popular vote, those protections were eliminated after Anita Bryant made a swing through. And for those oh, of you dear. who don't know who Anita Bryant is, uh, <laughs> take a look Take a look at your uh, gay history. Uh, Excuse uh, me. Uh, I mean, when you would say her name, I just get verklempt. Yeah, a ter <laughs> terrible person. Um, uh, and um, speaking of God bless and God rest uh, Pat Robertson. Uh, she was, oh dear, she was a kind of a counterpart of his. Anyways, um, mm -hmm. so we, uh, so we, so I had gotten involved uh, a, a few years prior in trying to <clears throat> establish these non-discrimination protections in our state law. In the meantime, um, we worked to restore those protections in St. Paul. Failed on one occasion, and then came back uh, two years later and succeeded. And that kind of created the momentum for passage at the at the state level. So wow, well, thank it was you a, for that. An incredible, incredible moment. And and I, I mentioned this to you before the show, but I have to say it on, on the air here. Um, you're you were an inspiration for me to I mean I I just um, everything you've done for the community, um, um, you you've gone out there on a limb for us and um, I really super appreciate you. And um, it, this is a big thing for me. I, I told all the, the people at the station, I can't believe he's coming here. And I just want to thank you. I mean, you're, for everything you've done. And um, this is like, a, um, I, I'm kind of like a, a, a blushing a fan. Oh, kind gosh. Of <laughs> really, I <laughs> mean a, that. Uh, well, well, thank you. That, that's, that, that makes it really special. Um, because and, you did a, it not mm, for yourself. You see, you yeah. did it. You, you know how many people you've influenced in, in this state? Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You, you have. It's you've been, changed yeah. their lives. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, I sometimes can't believe I'm in this position able to do this incredible work because, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I like to think I'm pretty down to earth and pretty normal guy and, you know, still that activist of, you know, 30 years ago. Um, that's how I think about myself and how I think about the work. So right, right. When, I, when I hear people feel this way about me, it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Because, yeah. uh, well, because you know, it's, I am. I am just being honest. Um, I, I remember when I first moved here, I heard about you. I even friended you on Facebook. I followed all your uh, your moves as far as uh, things that you've done for the community, and it's just been one thing after the other. And it's just, and not even just for our community. I mean, for women, for women's rights, and 
all um, marginalized people. So thank you for this. Thanks, thank thanks, you for being yeah. here. So um, you and I uh, were around during the 80s and 90s, um, during the AIDS ec- epidemic, which mm-hmm. was awful. I mean, it was just the worst time for me growing up. Um, the AIDS crisis was a catalyst that made me become more active in the LGBT community. It was called the LGBT, like you mentioned, community. There was no Q at that point. Um, I lost three of my best friends, uh, my very best friend and two other really close friends to the, to the crisis, to the uh, epidemic, uh, many other acquaintances as well. Can you talk about your personal experiences advocating for people with AIDS during the worst part of the pandemic in the 80s and 90s and other personal stories you feel comfortable sharing? Because, it's, again, it's, it's, it's a very personal journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't want to talk about it. It brings back bad memories. So wh- is there anything you want to share about that and talk about? Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, the uh, AIDS pandemic, the crisis of the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, we still have AIDS with us. So, you know, it still is, in, in a sense, uh, a crisis, but it's nothing like it was because we have the, True. the treatments yes. and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and the ability to avoid contracting HIV in the first place um, with PrEP and PEP and, you know, and other things that we can do. But um, uh, it was absolutely uh, my coming of age story, my my coming out, um, my my. Um, what you, by the way, excuse me. What what year did you come out? Do you do you remember? Well, it, that's that's a complicated answer. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> me too. I kind of it was kind of a process, and I kind of came out, and then I went back in, kind of came out. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, <laughs> in the meantime, I lived with a woman for a couple of years. So you know, so uh, so yeah. it was a whole thing. Um, but um, but it was. Um, you know, so you know, going going back, uh, not not to stretch out the story too long, but the, you know, the the abbreviated version is like a, a lot of of um, kind of white middle class cisgender gay men. Um, we grew up with a certain sense of of oblivion and entitlement and you know expectation um, based on our status in the world, um, and then um, as we came up and uh, discovered that. Uh, we were, in fact, a member of a marginalized minority group that was not just marginalized but despised. And, and you know, if it wasn't bad enough that uh, so many of the people that I was uh, coming into community with and friendship and, and mentorship with uh, were, were getting sick and, and dying and dying in, in ways that were, were really difficult because so many were ostracized from their families, fired from their jobs, lost their housing. Um, we were also being blamed uh, and mocked and despised and 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 further marginalized from from insurance, you know, from you know the, our, our we president. couldn't give blood, couldn't give blood. I mean, we still can, kind of. I mean, now we we now can, kind of. But um, oh, we can now. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. But there's still, oh. still stip- stipulations and conditions. But um, a lot of those barriers have have been taken down. But people were losing their insurance, were being kicked out of their towns, ostracized from their families. Um, and you know, our our president at the time um, was overtly homophobic and you know and grotesquely indifferent. You Even know, though he had a son that was gay, too, which is crazy. Yeah, friends, yeah. I mean, uh, our, our our pharmaceutical, you know, companies weren't doing any research. The, you know, the medical establishment was was turning a blind eye. Uh, I mean, uh, and and of course, you know, then you had a whole movement. You know, the moral majority in the Christian coalition that was built on uh, hatred for LGBTQ people, for gay men, and and despise you know, and despising them and heaping scorn on them for the HIV crisis. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and and that of course spurred. 
uh, acts of violence and terrorism against our community. It was a really, really hard time to come out, but at the same time, it was an incredible time to come out because the community was finding its voice and, and um, you know, becoming, uh, you know, not, well, militant in some, so I was a part of ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, so out demonstrating in the streets to put pressure on the, the issue, put pressure on the system and society. Uh, people were also uh, acting within institutions to come out because, you know, the diagnosis was quite clear. Uh, the crisis of AIDS and HIV was a function of homophobia, and homophobia was a function of ignorance and fear, which was a function of lack of familiarity. And mm -hmm. so people were coming out and forming community and forming bonds of connection and forming institutions and traditions and care communities. I was a part of taking care of many, many men um, who otherwise didn't have people to take care of them. I was part of the early uh, formation of the Minnesota AIDS Project and an early volunteer. And you know, like I said, protesting in the street, um, but I was also, you know, I got out of college and started working in the corporate sector, started putting pressure on our senior management. I saw people putting pressure in academic institutions on, on their leadership team and labor unions and all across, you know, every sector of society, we were coming out and, and, uh, and being seen. Um, and I think acting in ways of, of um, community and self-reliance that is as American and a patriotic uh, story as you could possibly imagine, putting pressure yeah. on our demo democratic and electoral systems, demanding that politicians respond to us, running for office ourselves. So it was a, an incredible time to, to come of age yeah. and to, to find, you know, I had come, even though I was raised Catholic, I had spent a turn as a fundamentalist born-again Christian. and. Um, you know, found out that I had been lied to in those systems of morality and faith um, and had to separate myself to really find my essential core values. And through that process, discovered I was and could be more of a, quote, Christian than I had ever been before because my heart opened up because I started loving myself. I was able to love other people unconditionally and open myself up to the grace and love and peace mm -hmm. um, that that makes possible. When you, when you mentioned you were helping, um, you know, AIDS patient, people that were dying of AIDS uh, by going over bringing food and stuff like that, because I did, I volunteered at the Gay Community Center in, in New York at the time. Um, people were calling up, they want to kill themselves. It was just, it was the most horrible experience. I was t in tears almost every day because people wouldn't want to hug these people it was just it, there was no human contact there was no human i remember going respect. to hospitals where nurses refused to enter rooms where they would put on um gowns and masks and gloves to the extent that you couldn't even tell that it was a human being uh, you know caring for you i mean it was just it yeah. was uh, yeah, yeah. unbelievable yeah yeah well we uh, we've we've gone past that now um, mm. and we're uh, trying to get it but see we're, we're stepping back again a little bit but we can talk about that later um, I want to talk about your um, your career a little bit before we go into the LGBT part of the show when we're going to talk about that uh, before you became a Minnesota state senator, you were also elected to the House, state House, right? And uh, can you talk about that experience and any particular legislation that you were a part of that made you proud? For that? Was it two years? You so were the House was one term, yeah. And I, um, so I served when Jesse Ventura was governor, which was actually great because he was very pro-gay and I met with him a number of times. And yeah, I heard that. Yeah. very responsive to everything I asked him to do in terms of his public statements. And, and he was very, very solidly uh, in our camp and in support of our of our community, 
Um, and so one thing he did was, um, as a part of the state employee labor negotiations, was he put on the table with no conditions attached um, the extension of domestic partnership benefits. So this was before, this was pre-marriage. And so, you know, we just were at that time looking for the kinds of legal protections, instrumentalities, financial uh, uh, services, and the, and the like to keep our families safe and whole and protected. And one of those was to be able to access Healthcare coverage, for example, through our employer-based health insurance. And so he put that on the table and said, that's a freebie. You don't have to negotiate for it. Um, you know, we won't be levered, leveraged for it. Um, and so that was wrapped into the state employee contracts, you know, across 10 or 12 in, uh, different labor union contracts. What then happened um, was the uh, House of Representatives, which was controlled by um, Steve Sfigum, whose name has been in the news recently. You know, he's on the Regents uh, at the University of Minnesota. He's done some terrible things in that job. Um, he was the speaker, and he decided that he was going to strip those out. Mm. He was not going to allow that to happen. Really? Um, unfortunately, the, the democratically controlled Senate acquiesced, acceded to that demand. Really? And so, so a, a, a duly negotiated benefit for state employees was unilaterally stripped out so that the LGBTQ employees of the state could not access that benefit. First time that it ever happened. Usually the labor contracts are just simply voted up or down. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and you don't, so what had to happen was literally the entire language of the contract then had to be placed in state law absent that provision. So so that was kind of my claim to fame. Um, I sat next to Karen Clark, who was one of my mentors and one of my heroes, for whom I had served as a campaign manager as a junior activist. And so, um, so to have the giant of the movement be be my friend and my seatmate, um, we wore. Um, my mom uh, sewed purple armbands in protest, and I wore a purple armband around my around my upper arm for weeks and weeks and weeks. And and we protested vehemently. I found my voice on the floor of the Senate uh, through that. That goodness. was a trial by fire. Thank you again. I mean, it was goodness. A, you know. did, did you ever stop? I mean, it's just <laughs> incredible what you've accomplished. It yeah. really is. I mean, again, I'm not blowing smoke in your face. I just think – and again, I was a New Yorker. I came here with no knowledge of Minnesota politics whatsoever. And the first name that came to my ears was Scott Dibble. And I had to find out who you were, read about you. And so that's why this is very emotional for me to be sitting across oh, wow. from you. But I just mean that. It's just little old me. <laughs> I know. But I got to compose myself here. So uh, what are some of the committee assignments that you currently hold uh, in the Minnesota State Senate? So now you're a senator. Right. Um, how many terms did you have so far? Uh, I believe I, I have to count up, but I believe I'm in my seventh term. Beautiful. Yeah. And so. and so what are some of the committees that you've – So I chair been? the Transportation Committee. So we just came in back into the majority this last cycle, which mm -hmm. is fantastic because I've been in the majority, the minority, majority, minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't been in the majority now for a long time. And so – you got by, the trifecta. By one vote, we are yeah. a Senate Democratic majority. So I chair, chair the Transportation Committee of which – so, so um, you know, going back to my origin story um, – I've worked on these issues around uh, transportation and transit, really about quality of life, about access, right. about democratic participation, the decisions that affect our lives, about racial justice, about economic opportunity, environment and climate is why um, transportation became a big, big deal for me when I was quite young. So for 30 years, I've been working hard along with a 
huge community of, of organizers and activists and social justice warriors to pass a comprehensive transportation bill, and we did it this year. So I'm very, very proud of that, um, what I think is uh, the achievement of a lifetime. So, awesome. so chairing the Transportation Committee opposite my work husband, his name is Frank Hornstein. We've been working together as activists all this time. He's the chair of the Transportation Committee now in the House. Um, I serve on the on the uh, Energy and Environment Committee, um, where we passed this year um, a mandate to eliminate carbon from our energy sector by 2040, so a major achievement on climate. Um, the transportation bill, by the way, has a, a, a lot of decarbonization initiatives, um, so transportation is the largest contributor to, to climate change right after the electrical energy sector. Um, and so very proud of that achievement, um, although I played a supportive role in that, although I, I have in the past played a, a big role in, in energy policy. And then I serve on the Taxes Committee, where we passed a child credit um, that's going to reduce childhood poverty by 30% in the state of Minnesota. So wow. we had some major achievements Look this year. Look at you. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you're like the energizer buddy. You know, it's crazy. But well, uh, you know... You know, I, I won't lie. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I do um, and, you know, feel like I bring a certain amount of capacity to it. But this is all work that's been done um, and worked on for, for literally decades uh, by the people of Minnesota, by activists and organizers and of people course, who yeah. care and just, you know, and just work hard year over year over year so that we were in a position. The ideas were queued up. The, the mobilization was there, and the elected officials, many of whom come out of the movement, were, were ready to act. So Right. Um, to change this topic a little bit, uh, this coming August 1st will be the 10-year anniversary of marriage equality being passed in Minnesota. Yay. Uh, you and many other Minnesotans had to travel to other states to marry, from what I'm reading about you. Yeah. I got married in 2008 in, in California. California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, before it was passed in 2013, so California had passed it before that. Um, well, that's a it, it was right? a little uh, the 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 Supreme Court of California declared um, right. Um, it wasn't a plebiscite. You're right. Yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. then and then um, that fall um, through a referendum, it was made uh, unconstitutional. Well, yeah, in California proposition what eight. was it, eight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Can you tell us about your leadership role in finally getting the law passed? Finally, in Minnesota, did what led up to that, and how did that happen? Well, interestingly, so the uh, so the um, Republicans took over the Senate for the first time in forty years in twenty ten, and so in twenty eleven they took office and they and they placed this constitutional amendment on the ballot, um, which uh, in in retrospect, in hindsight, was a huge favor to us and a huge blunder on their part because all constitutional amendments are voted on in the even-numbered years. So they put it on the ballot in the first half of the biennium 2011. Well, they gave us 18 months to organize, um, to defeat that amendment. Um, and through the process of organizing, that organizing was very, very unique, unlike any that had ever been done before in any other state. Remember, we had lost 30 constitutional amendment fights all across the country. Um, and so we learned a lot from, what, from those states what worked and what, what didn't, didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and one thing we learned that we had to do was to have conversations, uh, and not just one, but many conversations, so that people could start to surface their anxiety around this issue and start to reconcile those anxieties with the values that they brought to family life, to, to marriage, to love, to responsibility, to freedom. Um, and, and so that foundation we laid and, you know, 
defying all expectations, we defeated that amendment in 2012. And, and in so doing, we also got the Senate and the House back, and we had a supportive governor, Mark Dayton. Um, uh, we were able to pivot and parlay all of that work in this incredible conversation and all this mobilization we had done, particularly of young people, into the, the drive to actually proactively then. So we, so we hadn't finished our work, of course. We had simply kept a negative provision out of the state's constitution. That didn't magically confer the right to freedom to marry. We had right. to go and change the law because yeah, remember, remember I yeah. mentioned Steve Sviggum earlier, he had shepherded in a law that had made it specifically illegal for same-sex couples to marry. So we had to reverse that law and pass the freedom to marry, uh, which wasn't a given, um, you know, just because we had won the election and defeated the amendment. There was a lot of, you know, discernment over whether or not that would be considered overreach on our part and, and going too far too fast. But I think the political imperative was that was the expectation and the mandate of that election. And so we were able to pivot and, and transfer all of that energy into the proactive campaign to actually pass freedom to marry, yeah. which we did. It wasn't a given. It was very hard. Um, you know, just like defeating the amendment was hard, passing the bill was right. very, very hard. And just because we had uh, Democratic majorities, remember, we had lost the ability lost on votes to pass back in, you know, previous to 1993, a number of times we had lost efforts to pass the non-discrimination law. Just because Democrats were there doesn't mean that they were going to vote in our favor. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had to do a lot of mobilization, a lot of grassroots contact, a lot of engagement with my colleagues and, and, the, and the House Democrats. But but we did it, um, and you know. And it, thank it was you a for doing it. Campaign I mean, like no other. I, I mean, literally, I can re I can remember this like it. You know, you know, you, there's certain events in history that you remember, like the the Challenger, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when it crashed, or 9/11. Things that just are embedded in your brain. I remember uh, Governor Dayton sitting there signing that. Oh my God, I was in. I was crying. It was just. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just so there were, happy there were that literally it, ten thousand people on the Capitol lawn for that I bill know. signing. Yeah. It and was, it was remember it was I couldn't believe it. Spring. Did you believe it? I didn't believe it. I yeah, it was, as an older gay person, yeah. we, younger people, t I guess, would take it for granted. But yeah. again, it, it was, was completely unimaginable when I was young. Absolutely, that we would be talking absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So I know the environment is a topic near and dear to your heart, and mine as well. I heard your legislation was the first in the nation advocating for hybrid plug-in electric cars. So your you were the your your legislation was the first in the whole country, mm. uh, and renewable energy standards and so much more. Uh, can you talk about some of the other environment environmental legislation that you were part of and were instrumental in getting passed? I guess. Well, um, I was uh, involved in the effort to um, eliminate. Mercury emissions from coal-fired power plants. Um, now, of course, we're getting rid of coal-fired power plants, but uh, back in the day when it looked like they were going to be with us for quite a while, um, the technology was there to strip out the, the, the mercury from the emissions, and, uh, and we required that, that they do that. So that was a major achievement. I've uh, had the pleasure of uh, serving on um, the board that makes grants to preserve uh, our our wild and natural areas as well. So doing a lot of that work around conserving and enhancing and, and, and preserving um, our, our wild and natural areas, whether for habitat or for water quality or um, soil quality um, or, you know, for um, endangered species and the like. Mm. Um, I've been involved in the effort to eliminate mercury 
more widely from our environment and from our products, as well as PFAS, um, which you know are the forever chemicals that 3M has played a huge role in. Uh, interestingly, uh, sometimes your legislative achievements are in preventing bad things from happening. And so year over year over year, when I was in the minority in the Senate, I effectively played you know, one of the leads on environment in a defensive posture in which the Chamber of Commerce would bring literally what I called the Omnibus Anti-Water Protection Bill, in which um, there were probably 20 or so provisions which would have completely stripped all of the regulations that protect clean water in the state of Minnesota, systematically and methodically, basically allowing the, the corporate sector to view our surface waters and our groundwaters as free and open sewers to do with what they see fit, to basically uh, externalize and offload any expense that they might have to go to to keep our waters clean. Just, you know, let the environment suffer mm -hmm. the consequence, let the taxpayer pick up the cleanup bills, etc. But it's amazing, though, yeah. uh, to interrupt you, it's it's amazing, though, that we lost the north of Minnesota where, where you're trying to protect their environment because it's they're rural, you know, and they don't – now they're voting against the DFL – who are trying to protect the environment for them. So what, what, what's the disconnect there that I'm not getting? Um, well, it's a complicated... Is it more... Comp yeah, I yeah was it's a complicated say. response because if you poll um, uh, people in, in all of those uh, rural and deep rural Senate districts in the northern tier of Minnesota, they strongly believe that copper nickel mining, you know, and, and a lot of these, you know, and... and, and, and um, you know, all the efforts to destroy all of the forests and, and, you know, because there's sandy soil up there. And so they're cutting down forests and planting potato fields, um, which is extremely consequential. They're, they're against all of that. Um, because of jobs, I think, right? Uh, well, they're, no, well, they're against destroying the environment. Um, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is. There but is, they want the jobs. I guess. Yeah, 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 and 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 good jobs can be had while we protect the environment. You know, so exactly, so, so, exactly. Um, Why can't we message that? Is yeah. there a way to message that to them? Yeah, I think I think what needs to happen, which we've failed to do, uh, is take a, a page from the playbook of the marriage amendment campaign, which is engaging folks in talking to them yeah. long meaningful, deep conversations. Representative Nolan did that, didn't he? He, he was able to, to hold on to the... Uh, Rick uh, Nolan, yeah. Rick yeah. Nolan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he was, he was, you know, he's a good progressive and, you know, he was, yeah. he was for protecting the environment and good jobs at the same time. And then he, and then he, after he decided he had family issues and he had to leave yeah. and then we couldn't hold the seat. Right. Right. That was so yeah. disappointing yeah. to me. So a lot of it has turned on, um, you know, some of this Trump era uh, politics of grievance and yes. um, you know people feeling threatened on social. I think issues. you hit that. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. you hit that on the head. That's you what know, it is. And the e the evidence of that is the the Democrat. We've lost a number of Democrats up there who were very very pro mining, you know, and not necessarily strong on the environment, but they lost their seats anyway. They'd, and they'd done a lot to bring resources and support for the working people of those districts up to those districts, and they still lost their seats. Mm -hmm. um, so it's clearly something else is going on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so these, these elections are about something else that's happening, and that's about fomenting fear and anxiety. It's a whole nother show, right, yeah. Scott? So, <laughs> it's a so, whole nother show. And, and the only way to get past that is, is like I said, to have what we call um, – uh, deep, it's called deep canvassing or, or you know, long-form conversations uh, to really engage people around the values that they hold and 
and, mm-hmm. and, and, and connecting those values to the kinds of issues and priorities instead of going in and saying, you know, teaching, you know, quote, teaching people things and telling them what's good for yeah. them and, you know, and listing out a bunch of policies, just mm-hmm. really, um, really meeting people where they're at and valuing, you know, really opening, approaching people with an open heart and a, and a posture of love and respect for them and their lives and their struggles and, and having those conversations. That's exactly what we did on marriage. We didn't, we didn't come at people and say, if you're not with me, you're a homophobe or, exactly. you know, or, you know, or, you know, this is what people want. They want insurance and they want inheritance, you know. You get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, you I know, guess we just is say the what's, term, what's, right? in, what's important to you? What, you know, yeah. what, why did you get married? What, you know, what is, what does love right. and marriage and family mean to you? Right. And get people talking and thinking and, exactly. and then, and then, and then connecting what's important to them to what you're talking about. Yeah. Well. I hope it changes. I do. In 2014, you were the chief author of a bill allowing the use of medical marijuana. And as of this August 1st, adults 21 and older will be able to possess marijuana for recreational use. Thank you for that. Uh, How many ounces may they possess? And will they also be able to grow their own marijuana in their homes? And in essence, what are the particulars of this law? So Briefly, there's there's a lot to this law. It's a big law, and it has as much to do with uh, removing uh, a lot of the racial injustice that has gone into how the illegal use of marijuana and cannabis has been, uh, you know, enforced. Um, you know, with a lot of you know white and black people using and uh, and smoke cannabis at the same rates. Yet, you know, uh, African American people are seven times more likely to be charged and prosecuted and, you know, and have all of the attendant consequences and, mm-hmm. um, and collateral issues that occur in their lives. Um, and so, um, so dealing with, you know, and, and uh, you know, and of course, um, you know, prohibition doesn't work, you know, anyone who wants to smoke, use cannabis does, you know, it only fuels a black market that is full of, of violence and corruption and, and, uh, you know, all, of course, uh, all course of, attendant social consequences. So there's a lot to it around, um, you know, establishing the industry and who gets to participate and, you know, what the co-benefits are, et cetera. In terms of um, the questions that people have about possession, you know, how much they can possess and whether they can grow their own. Um, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you can possess um, at any one time, if you're purchasing it, uh, up to four ounces, which if I recall from back in the day is quite a bit. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I think you can grow eight plants. Uh, in your house. Yeah, four of which can be flowering at, at any one time. In your house or even out in your garden. Um, if it's oh, all... it could be exposed in the garden yeah, too? Yeah, you, okay. you can grow outside too. It just has to be cordoned off. Um, you know, I don't know if it has to be screened from public view, but there has to be at least some sort of a barrier around it. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, any, any, any four of which can be in flower at any one time. All right. Uh, the last question before we get to the shift. Um, as a gay man, I was happy to hear that the DFL trifecta banned conversion therapy. And of course, again, you were a big part of this as well. Um, can you give the listeners, you know, briefly your thoughts on this new law and the process it took to get it passed? Well, this is over 10 years of effort. I know. Um, I know. You know, know uh, a and, long time. Uh, long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I had tried to bring it uh, to a full vote uh, as a member of the minority uh, a number of times. Um, so again, I just point to uh, just the courage of young people in particular who would come over to the Capitol year over year and tell their stories very, very courageously um, because it's speaking about issues that are extremely painful because, you know, there is no such thing as conversion. It's, it's uh, 
it's torture and it yes. harms people and it's ineffective and mm -hmm. um, it's it's a dreadful practice. Um, and uh, and so I'm very very proud of this achievement and very proud of our community. So for am I. Thank you. And again, thank you on behalf of everybody in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so now we've come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. Don't forget to say the F because if you don't, we'll have problems. Um, where I shift the questioning away from your political career and uh, to your opinions on current affairs. And in honor of Pride Month, we're going to focus on a lot of LGBTQ plus issues and along with obviously political things that are going on. Now, I... Um, Full disclosure here. This morning I woke up and all this news hit, you know, the proverbial you know what hit the fan this this morning. The, I, the shift without the F hit the fan. <laughs> yes, it did. That's good. You got me there. Um, I should have thought of that. Um, so let's just get into some of these. I had other questions to ask you, but then I, now that this stuff happened, I, you know, what are you going to do? You have to bring it up, you know. So uh, news just broke that the twice-impeached former president was federally indicted on seven, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but seven uh, charges of conspiracy to obstruct willfully retaining national defense secrets – goodness, in violation of the Espionage Act and false statements on top of it. So what are your thoughts about this breaking news? I mean, th th this is nuts to me. I can't believe well, it. Well, you know, I, I had gotten into the habit of just kind of only reading headlines and or more half ignoring news when it comes to the former president's um, because that's, you know, it was kind of a self-preservation mode. <laughs> um, so I just, I couldn't read the news in fine detail every day back when when he was the president because it, you know, it was too anxiety provoking and too depressing and too overwhelming. And so that's usually my response to when he's in the news now is kind of keep a half eye on it. But, you know, I don't put it out on the social media. I don't, you know, I don't like to add negativity in the social media sphere. So I don't like go, oh, look at this, you know, asshole who's done these things. Because um, I just don't. Um, right. uh, and, and part of that is, you know, just to, I try to keep my world positive. But um, my husband and I decided this morning. Let what is you know? Let's let, let read a little more detail. This is very serious, and this is it's he a, a one, of, one of the one of the case. crimes he's facing. He could serve up to ten years in prison. That's for. just one charge, I think. One of them, yeah. So, um, so if he could, you know, be, I mean, as is always true. I mean, you know, it's it, it it's it's hard to imagine or articulate um, the the level of transgression, um, the, the level of perversion that he introduces into uh, our political and civic realm, um, you know, the, the level of, of convention and, and, and expectation that, that he is. And, and unfortunately, it has corroded so much of our entire political discourse, um, and which has always been the true threat of him and his movement. Right, right. Um, you know, but it is gratifying to think that Maybe, maybe. I mean, we've hoped so many times he would be held to account uh, for his behavior. Um, maybe this time the consequences. But will. there's more to come. I'm hearing now. Yeah. There's another case in Georgia. Right. There's at least two more. And then I'm the aware. one, the nine, the uh, the um, January sixth uh, uh, insurrection, insurrection yeah. Yeah. Um, investigation, and yeah. other things that yeah. I don't know about yet. Yeah, the but. same, the same federal um, investigator who. Who has indicted him is 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 investigating the insurrection yeah. case as well. Crazy, yeah. Uh, 
Anyway, so recently there was a, a right-wing YouTuber who entered an LGBTQ-friendly church and harassed the members simply for being accepting. Imagine this. Now, judge if it was the other way around. I just just picturing this. Imagine like gay people would go into a, a evangelical church and disrupted their sir and and made a scene. I'm telling you, they can get away with whatever they want, and nothing's happening about this. Well, imagine if all the insurrectionists who invaded this, the U.S. Capitol were black. Oh God! You know, I mean, they would have been they yeah. would have been mowed down. Yeah. I really believe that. The 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 the, the kind of, of things that we just kind of normalize or just apply a double standard to in in this society is just mind-boggling. Yeah. So, um, but you know, the human rights campaign just about two days ago declared a state of emergency for Florida LGBTQ people, a nationwide state of emergency. Oh, nationwide. Yeah. So, nation declared a state oh, see, a nationwide state of emergency, um, issued a, a travel advisory to the state of Florida, um, and the NAACP likewise did for African American people to, to the state of Florida. So, travel advisory, but nationwide, and of course, um, uh, it's uh, I think. Um, extremely disturbing and very upsetting. Um, but when you look at uh, the the level of violence and the fans being flamed by being, you know, the the, the uh, flames being fanned by state legislators across the country who have introduced over 500 anti-trans bills, 21 states now have passed anti-trans legislation, um, and uh, people picking up on that signal that we are to be marginalized, despised, and dehumanized, it's worse than, I think, when we came of age in the 80s and 90s, where you have people from the world of elected official authority targeting transgender young people, their families, uh, drag queens, and, and LGBTQ people as subhuman, less than human, to be feared, to be mocked, to be despised, and it has all manifest itself in the Proud Boy attacks on drag performances, and um, we saw the violence break out uh, in the Cal at the California school board meeting a couple of days ago. Um, it is, uh, we're in a very, very severe moment. But I thought moment. they were, excuse me, I thought they would um, pro, put the parents back in school, right? That's their message, right? Okay, fine. But there are some parents who have consulted with their doctors you know, they have children that have come to them and said, I don't feel comfortable in my body. I need this, that, and the other thing. And they send them for help. And the the decision is made between the doctor and the parent. They want to stop that. They want to say, no, parent, you, I'm, I know better than you know about your child. But if the child kills themselves or, or, does, or, or cuts themselves, you know how they tried to cut, you know, when, they, when, they, when they're not mentally there with their, the, the comfort level of being in their own body, you know, they start cutting, they abuse themselves, they do a, a lot of things that I don't even want to talk about. But, uh, but I thought they were all about parents. If the parent is for the child and the doctor's for the child doing A, B, C, D, E, why are you involving yourself? What's the, why is this a big thing? Yeah. You know. So, um, so the thing to understand is that this is all about uh, political cynicism and hypocrisy and uh, a purely. I mean, what, what what was the marriage fight about? It wasn't about marriage. It's all right right wing Christianity because I'm a Christian. Yeah. 
You know, my husband goes to church, but we, we, we go to we go to a, a, a real church where people love each other, right. and they don't care if you're gay, black, white, green, orange. You're, you're just a person, and God loves you for who you are. And I don't get this whole othering thing. Well, because it's um, so. It's not even about Christianity. This is about no, I cynical know, yeah. political operators, mm-hmm. uh, power brokers, who are making use of issues that create anxiety and fear and division for the purpose of winning elections. So that's what the marriage fight, you know, 30 states mm-hmm. had these constitutional amendments on their ballot. It wasn't about marriage. It wasn't about Christianity. It wasn't about LGBTQ people. It was about Carl Rove and Dick Cheney wanting to manipulate an electoral dynamic so that Republicans would be elected to state legislatures and Congress um, in order to control power for the corporate class. That that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. It's all about manipulating issues and creating division and fear they have no, yeah. in the population. So yeah. So so I mean, it, uh, recently um, there was an article in the New York Times that explored this question. Where did these attacks and all this obsession with transgender people and transgender youth come from? It came yeah. from pollers, pollsters, and um, and and political um, uh, manipulators who were looking for the next issue to create fear and division among yeah. people right. to fuel Republican electoral outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. Yeah, there's been trans people forever, and and yeah. and all of a sudden now it's this huge issue, you know. And yeah. it's yeah, and it's all manufactured, exactly. it's all contrived, it's all coming out of these these uh, political factories mm-hmm. that generate issues to propel Republican power at mm-hmm. the behest of uh, you know the the corporate sector that wants to. Concentrate wealth in fewer hands, reduce regulations, reduce taxes, and, and on it goes. Oh, yeah. um, now, what I'll say, though, is um, as, as desperate and dire and disturbing as this moment is, I think our opponents are actually doing themselves a disservice and doing us a great favor because they are disaffecting and alienating a whole generation of emerging voters. Young people are very pro-LGBTQ. And they are horrified <laughs> at what these Republicans are doing. The They're also yeah. forcing a conversation out into the open that we weren't forcing ourselves. We weren't forcing the conversation about marriage. That was foisted upon us. But we seized the moment. We weren't forcing a conversation about HIV, AIDS, and what it meant to be out LGBTQ people back in the 80s and 90s. But we met the moment by coming mm-hmm. out, by telling our stories, by living with courage and dignity. That's exactly what's happening with transgender people and their allies, stepping up, being fierce and fearless, and being present and visible. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, from Billy Porter and, you know, and on it goes. I mean, just these incredible transgender, gender nonconforming people and allies like us and our friends and family. Yeah. Or, you know, just today I was talking to Hannah Edwards, her daughter Hildy, you know, the young woman, um, Ellie Krug, who's been elected to the city council, or yeah. Davin Sokup, who's elected to the city council in Northfield, or my good friend Lee Finke, who's been elected to the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So um, they're kind of shortening the half-life of anti-transgender discrimination yeah, yeah. in ways that is going to have a huge backlash and, and, and put them into 
a deep and lasting minority. I'm convinced oh, of it. Oh, God, I hope you're right. Uh, to segue, uh, let's talk about Pat Robertson for a little bit here, <laughs> since that's another thing that just happened this, that I heard about today. God rest his soul. <laughs> My mother always said, I have to say this. My mother just said, if you don't have anything nice to say about a person that died, don't say anything at all. So I'm just not going to say anything about him. But I just wanted to say that um, he proclaimed that AIDS was God's retribution to gay people. Uh, and he made many other, I don't even want to talk about the other anti-gay statements he made in, in those days. He passed away at 93. Um, so what are your thoughts about his life and his anti-gay agenda? And uh, is he, it, it, who's picking up the mantle now, I guess, is from so, him? So, you know, I'm never, I'm never um, glad when someone dies. Um, of course not, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I wish his family well as they mourn his loss. Yep. Um, but, um, you know, we are um, the legacy that we leave, and he leaves a malignant and negative legacy of hatred and division and, uh, you know, uh, bias and uh, destruction of democratic and civic norms and uh, a willingness to see people suffer and die um, uh, with no level of Christian compassion and love in his heart that anyone could discern. And so... Um, I think he left, he lived a very negative life, leaves a negative legacy. I think he was destructive to our democracy and the notions of freedom and fairness and opportunity for people. And, um, you know, and that's the legacy that in history that will uh, live on in perpetuity in the name of Pat Robertson. Yeah, yeah, that's, and I, again, I'm not saying a word. Um, and, and with respect to my mom, who passed away in 1999, always, always told me to be respectful of people of people that are not uh, are not, no longer alive and to it, whether they're good or bad just you know if they're good of course you're going to say oh god bless them and you mm -hmm. know it's terrible and da 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 but i really don't have anything to say about him <laughs> so um but i just wanted to have your you know i just wanted to bring that out there cuz it's news you know um now this this is this one bothers me so i i'm sure it's going to bother you um how do you feel about businesses like bud light and target that were bullied into succumbing to the demands of the extreme right wing by doing what bullies told them to do. Doesn't their acquiescence to cultural terrorism set a very dangerous precedent? I think the fact that they gave in, it's just going to encourage this more, this behavior. They're throwing their, their uh, displays on the floor um, and, and harassing the salespeople and causing, you know, damage. What, what, what is your feeling about this? Well, I have a, a number of thoughts. Um, I completely agree with you that I think it simply encourages uh, anti-gay behavior and anti-gay prejudice yeah. and, and violence uh, towards our community by giving in and acquiescing. Um, and uh, so I think that is uh, unfortunate. I think, again, it represents an incredible double standard with which our community is treated. I think if the same behavior were directed towards communities of color or uh, religious minority communities, um, Bud Light and Target would not have acquiesced or given in. They would have stood up and stood more firmly and, and more clearly denounced. I agree. Uh, and kept the products and kept the, uh, kept the uh, endorsement associations in place. Um, but we're very easily kind of dealt out of the picture. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, I think that uh, as, a, as a movement, we might have fallen in love a little bit with this idea that um, the acceptance of the corporate sector meant we had arrived. We had fallen in love with the uh, positive attention and the acceptance that um, the corporate 
sector was heaping upon us. And social change has never been led by the corporate sector. They, they follow, and they follow places where they see money to be made. And so it's a great reminder that our movement is not founded, nor based in, nor will be perpetuated by those who are acting solely in their self-interest, which is by definition what the corporate sector is. That's not a criticism. That's the profit motive. That's the way the entire, uh, those organizations are, in, are structured legally. They have a legal fiduciary mandate to protect um, and maximize their profits. That's, that's, that's their legal fiduciary obligation. Um, that's their drive. That's their yeah. motivation. Even when I worked in the corporate sector, um, the only way we could appeal to our senior management was on the basis of profit. You should treat us well and treat our community well because this is a marketing channel or this is a good public relations play. Um, um, this is a way for you to curry favor and make more money. Nothing, mm -hmm. we could never appeal to altruism or humanity or sense of right and wrong. We always yeah. have to appeal to dollars and cents. So we just need to know that. No, I agree with you. And know that this movement is never, ever going to be, it will always be followed by the support of the corporate sector. We are the ones who step forward and right. create the social change, the demand for justice, um, the change to our political system. The corporate sector follows. Um, and so unfortunately, what happens though, of course, uh, you know, everything becomes cyclical and, and um, so, um, so Target had stepped up in a big way over recent years, going back to them remedying the error of their ways a number of years ago when they supported a homophobic candidate for governor. That's another story. Um, another show. <laughs> but but they, they pivoted and, and really embraced, and you know, they have a very, very large cohort of LGBTQ employees. Um, yeah, and, I, I heard they're very supportive of our community, uh, Target. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so now they've shown themselves to be, you know, just normal, typical corporate actors. They're afraid. I and, think they and, lost so much money from uh, this backlash. Yeah, um, and they're so doing, afraid. And, yeah. they've, and they've created real damage, and there's real consequence to yeah. our lives and the life of our movement Absolutely. by acquiescing to these violent actors. Bud Light, too. Yeah. And, and all that Dylan Mulvaney did was... Say hi. I'm drinking she, Bud Light. She was approached by Bud Light. Yeah, to do it, yeah. and she didn't say every. I want little children to become transsexual. I mean, she didn't talk about that at all. All she did was represent the product, and she was happy that they put her face on a can of Bud Light. I mean, I I don't understand what the you know the the hubbub was about. But again, yeah, it's, I'm, it's again it's very very conservative corporate cultures that fear uh, yeah controversy and fear. Uh, uh, you know, problems and and try to protect um, their bottom line. Yeah. And this next question um, is another one that's very disturbing. I mean, I, I wanted this to be a little light, this show, but after I read all of the stuff, you know, when I prepare these shows, I, I look on LGBT sites and what's the chatter, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on and what people are thinking about. And this one came out and, you know, and when I heard this, this, this freaked me out. Um, I was horrified, basically, to hear this, but um, there's a bill called the Kill the Gay Bill that passed in Uganda. I don't know if you heard about this. I did. It's, uh, it was with the help of American evangelicals, by the way. Who, now, how could you call yourself? First of all, how can one support a law like this and call yourself a Christian at the same time? Killing people, is that what Jesus would have wanted? And uh, what are your thoughts about that? It's beyond comprehension that this... This is happening in, in 2023. 
Yeah, so these bills, um, particularly in, in Uganda and some other African countries, have been around um, and contemplated and, and have almost been passed uh, in, in years past and have been, have been sidelined at the very last minute through a lot of diplomatic and, and other kinds of pressure. Um, it has been known for a long time that uh, American evangelicals have been fueling um, these political efforts in those countries with money and technical expertise, engagement and pressure. Um, uh, and that is a, a so if there's if there's any mystery where the evangelical hardline right wing is, this is where they are. This is what they espouse. This is mm -hmm. what they believe. They believe that the wages of sin is death. LGBTQ people are wretched and worthy of of death. Um, you know, maybe a, a, a lot of quote unquote mainstream evangelicals don't think that, but there is a huge cohort who, who does. It's similar to the radical elements that are, you know, anti-abortion. Well, haven't they, didn't they fund this yeah. whole thing in yeah. Uganda? Millions of dollars have been Millions, funneled from yeah. the United States, from these groups into Uganda <sighs> to fuel this, yeah. So now that it's happened, um, Uganda has, has to be uh, uh, designated as a pariah country. Oh, it God, absolutely yeah. has to be. Do you plan on visiting S similar Uganda? Similar to Afghanistan and the way they've treated women. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and again, if, if we don't treat this with the level of gravity and seriousness that we would treat the kinds of human rights abuses that occur against minority communities in other countries, again, it will show the double standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, mm, you know, we can kind of quasi-overlook you know, you know, I, I feel the same about you know the PGA tour uh, sidling up With to Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. You know, Saudi Arabia, which puts LGBTQ people to death. You Ugh. know, the, the PGA has to be boycotted. The Biden administration has got to disaffiliate and 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 you make as speak instrument of his foreign yep. policy to denounce and and make it consequential. Absolutely, what Uganda has done. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, um, we would talk about the climate before let's, I'm switching gears again. <laughs> I like to go back and forth a little it's bit. All good. You know, it's yeah. all good. This is, Everything's uh, intersectional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so being the climate advocate that you are, what are your thoughts about the wildfires in Canada? And, and New York recently, they couldn't even breathe. People couldn't breathe. They were wearing masks in the street. And we even had a few issues here in Minnesota uh, with the fires. What are, what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's, you know, it's that paradoxical opportunity to really um, address head-on um, this notion of climate denialism, um, because this is a direct consequence and a direct function of climate change. And this is going to be repeated in you know, ever greater frequency, these kinds of episodes, again and again and again. And you know, enough of the scientists equivocating and saying things like, oh, maybe this could be attributed to climate change, maybe not, clearly. This is a function. This is the worst fire Without season question. in Canada ever, ever in history. It is having a devastating consequence and impact for our health and our yes. and our and our ability to thrive and our livelihoods. My niece is living in New York City right now. She's Did got she an inter tell you internship what, what, there, what's, and she, what's they like can't they can't do anything. Can't go outside. Can't go outside. Can't go. Public, I mean, Shakespeare in the Park has been canceled. People aren't going oh, to work. God. Sporting events have been canceled. I mean, you know, even indoor sporting events. People's surgeries are being canceled. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And they, and they're and the Republicans are still barking at the fact that we're trying to cut down carbon emissions in the United States. Oh, China doesn't do it. 
that's what their answer is. It's always deflection. Maybe we should lead. You know, maybe we should be the ones leading. Right. right. We're know? one of the largest carbon producers. Of in course. Look the at the cars we world. drive. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever China does, whatever anyone else does, we have so much we have to do in our country. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, before we close the show out today, boy, the time has flown, hasn't it? Indeed. I love you, by the way. You're just great. I would hope you, you. I hope you come on the show again. Anytime. Anytime. I would love it. Have me back. Yeah. Uh, is there any topic I haven't mentioned that you would like to discuss with the listeners before we close the show up? Because I'm sh- maybe there's something on your mind that you want to get out there in the ether. And um, Oh, uh, yeah. I have been meaning to bring up, and I keep forgetting, um, another major uh, achievement of this past legislative session was establishing – uh, shield laws for transgender people or, you know, creating Minnesota as a transgender refuge so that those states where accessing gender-affirming care has been made illegal or for whatever reason. Even if the you, parent wants it? You're, yeah. They can't do it? Yeah, absolutely. Even if the parent says, my, yeah, my doctor yeah. wants, oh, Yeah, geez. no, young people have been cut off in numerous states now from accessing, and, and, and those who are receiving it are being forced to detransition and cease their care. And those parents are being designated in some states as child abusers. Ken Paxton down in Texas is, is having his his agencies investigate parents. But he got impeached, didn't he? Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> and so... Yeah, he's gone. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Hasn't, hasn't quite been turned out of office because there needs to be a trial now in the, in the Texas Right, Senate. that's true. Yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. so, so Minnesota is now a, a trans refuge state. So people can come here. Perfect. And, and the reach of those heinous and odious laws from those other states will not be into the state of Minnesota. So people will not lose custody of their children. They will... The, right. Those, those, uh, those horrible laws won't follow them into the state so we will be people will be able to come here and so they're moving here now good um, which is which is great it's fantastic news this was a, a bill that was chief authored by uh, Aaron McQuaid you know I've been joined by 14 queer legislators in the legislature I was the only one for all those years in the Senate serving with Karen Clark and, and a few right, others right. in the House Hunter Cantrell and others but now there are 14 of us one of them being uh, my colleague in the Senate, uh, Aaron McQuaid, and of course we know of Lee Finke, a transgender woman who's serving in the House, um, who, who carried this bill. I, I, I introduced it last year just to get the conversation started, but they carried it across the finish line. So um, that's like great news, and we can be very proud of that. But the other thing that that means is that um, the agencies like Reclaim and, uh, and Family Tree Clinic and others um, that serve transgender people, uh, Rainbow Health, um, uh, are going to be under a lot of strain. And so please support our community-based organizations right. that are going to be receiving these folks. Because what is it – see, I don't know if you're noticing this. This is what I notice, and I, you can – you know, before we close the show out, they're, they're attacking they, – they have this thing with doctors, and they don't, they don't trust doctors. With women, it's, it's, look at with abortion. If a doctor says, you know what, dude – um, we, we, this woman needs it. We need to to cease this pre- pregnancy now because if it goes any further, she can get either sepsis, she can die, she whatever the. I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. I don't claim to be, but if I would rather a doctor tell a woman whether or not she should have continue with the pregnancy or not, not the U.S. government. I really don't understand that they have a war on doctors and a lot of the doctors are leaving OBGYNs and uh, uh, other doctors are leaving these red states because they they, they have their hands tied. They can't. 
Yeah, so we passed a similar law called the uh, Reproductive Freedom Defense yes. Act, which also provides those shield protections to provide both who are, those who are accessing as, those, as well as those who are providing reproductive uh, and, and abortion care services in yeah, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. I'm oh. so sorry. Well, time flies when you're I having know. fun. Yeah. I, I would. I could go on forever with you, but you have life too, so I <laughs> keep you here with me. Um, but thank you for being on thank the you, downright up, upright show. I think you're amazing. Again, I'm I'm a big fan, um, and uh, I want to wish you again happy Pride Month. Um, happy Pride uh, to you and uh, yours, and yeah, same let's to you and your husband. Let's be visible. Let's you and your husband yeah. and all the allies uh, out there, and. Um, the thing I also want to mention is if people want to contact you, um, they can call you call your office, right? Can you yeah. give the number again? With it's six five one two nine six four one nine one. And also sdibble at senate.mn, right? Yeah. Is that another way to contact you? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And to the listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. And please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright Show in the future. My name is Philip Anthony and we want to wish you again happy Pride Month and ciao for now. 